people like to think we're reckless Never wanting to change We know we ain't out here flawless We just trying to play the game Oh, that's my name Hey y'all, it's your girl Landy, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Millennial Things Podcast. I have literally been struggling for the last week to get this episode done because it's one that is a little on the heavier side considering the state of our nation right now. Um, for Blackout Tuesday last week, I thought, you know, what can I do? Like, in what ways can I utilize my platform to bring awareness to racism in America? And I really couldn't think of exactly how I wanted to do that. But I knew that I had to do something and I had to say something. And the best way that I could think about um shining a light on the things that black people experience every single day is to share my platform with the people that I know and love um and to give them an opportunity to share their experiences to talk about how they've experienced racism and how it's affected them in their everyday lives I know for me, I've experienced racism my entire life. And while a lot of my experiences have been covert experiences, um, I just experienced my first like direct act of racism um, in February of this year. And I'm going to share my story a little bit later. But, you know, experiences like mine and like the ones that you're about to hear are you know, things that people deal with every day have dealt with their entire lives. And so I just wanted to give and offer up a space for people to really talk about and um, process the things that they've experienced. I know even for me telling my story, this is the first time that I've ever publicly explained what happened to me. Um, And this is also the first time I ever cried about what happened to me, the what ifs, the possibilities Um, to know that potentially I could have been in a situation where I didn't make it out of that situation. It's heart wrenching and it's even more heart wrenching to know that people like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and as we've recently been made aware, Ahmaud Aubrey all incidences that have gone public within the last 30 days to know that these people didn't make it out alive didn't do anything to warrant this behavior have really and truly been victims of just straight up 
hatred and racism in this country the only country we've ever known it's heartbreaking um and i know i keep saying heartbreaking heart-wrenching i really that's the only language that i have for it i'm angry i'm upset i'm sad um i'm nervous i'm anxious i have all of these thoughts and all of these feelings that i know a lot of my listeners and especially the people who are going to share today have experienced i think it's only fitting to offer a space to just talk about it (laughs) quite possibly you might have a shared experience as somebody else you know who's going to be a part of this podcast episode today or you may have experienced something way worse you know we're all in this fight together and i think that it is imperative that we no longer remain silent um it's time to use our voices it's time to speak out it's time to stop allowing you know this to be just a momentary experience that passes us by we have grown so accustomed and so numb to the incidences of black people being ridiculously and senselessly killed in this country that we deal with it in the moment we mourn for a couple of weeks we cry black lives matter and then we go back to our comfortable homes and go back to life as usual and don't think about it ever again or at least don't think about it consistently but the families of these victims this is something that they'll never be able to erase that they'll never forget we have to do our part in making sure that we are being the voice for the voiceless that we are speaking out for those who will no longer be able to have an opportunity to speak out it is our duty as people of color in this nation to no longer turn a blind eye and to no longer be silent about the injustices that go on and that we experience on a day-to-day basis and with that being said I bring to you this episode of The Rant where I will highlight some of the experiences of black and brown people in America. I hope that this particular episode speaks to you. I hope that this particular episode um, makes you think. I hope that it strikes a chord within you. I hope that it gives you and stirs a passion for social justice and for change in this country. And if nothing more, I just hope that I'm able to to honor the stories of the people that I know and love and who are brave enough and vulnerable enough to share some things that they've never been able to forget. So without further ado, I bring to you this special edition of the rent. Swinging 
in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees hi my name is aria williams and here's my thoughts on racism in america um Racism in America is just as prevalent as apple pie. It's just as prevalent as baseball. It's just as prevalent as football, Sunday dinners. It's just as prevalent or just as... um, You see it so much, you become desensitized to it, is my point. And I think for me, I can't remember a day or I can't go back... And remember a time where I, there wasn't any type of racism in my life. Um, I remember as young as being in elementary school. Can't remember the age. But if the police was following behind my mom, we were told to sit down, be quiet, don't say anything, look forward, you know. And there was never really a good relationship there. Um, I remember being in middle school and my mom and my brother and I are walking downtown to a program um, celebration, an end of the year celebration that I was in for kind of like a girls uh, program, just uplifting young girls. And this woman who happened to be white walked past my family and she clenched her purse. And so, you know, there are more stories that go on and on and on that I can remember. I can remember um, being a college student and wanting to grow dreads and, you know, just being stopped for no reason. You know, because I look because I had short hair and I looked like a black male. So because I was a black male on a predominantly white upper class side of town in college I was stopped frequently because the color of my skin and then the officers had to find reasons to tell me why they stopped me or being stopped by the police as a graduate student and the police didn't really want to face me he stood off to the side with his hand on his service weapon because he was afraid when he realized that I was a black woman. So, I mean, it's experiences like this from as far as I can remember until to date that racism has been infused in the, in the, in the, in this country for 400 years. And it's sad to say, but I don't think it's going to stop just with the death of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. There are going to be more cases And until we stand up and make a decision to change, you know, I feel like racism is just going to be here. And that's just how it is. And we just have to adapt and to cope with that. And I know that's not the right mindset, but it's reality. All right. Well, I feel like these past couple of weeks, I've been almost going through all of the stages of grief as to what's been happening across America, Uh, but this past definitely has been rough. I think it's just another reminder of how much progress we haven't made 
and it's crazy to me that after all these recordings of these senseless killings of black people, people still don't believe in systemic racism and oppression. So I'm Latina, I'm half Mexican, half Guatemalan, but I was born in L.A., East L.A., not the greatest place, but my parents saw a lot of violence while they were there. They both immigrated in the early 80s to Los Angeles. My mom naively thought that the streets in the U.S. were paved in gold, but my parents came here for a better life. My mom ended up bringing my brother to the U.S. when he was 17 at the time, and he's very brown. I remember my mom giving my brother a speech about how if you get pulled over by the police or if you ever get stopped, this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you should respond. Don't make any sudden movements. And that's just based off of what she was seeing happening to black and brown people in L.A. at the time. So even though I was small at the time, I remember taking mental notes on how to interact with a police officer. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but my elementary school that I went to was half black and half brown. So when my parents decided to move to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it was completely different. The population of kids were half white and half black. And then there's me. I'm the only brown kid in class. So really no one knew what to make of me. Um, So it was such a different environment. And back then I couldn't have told you what it was, but now reflecting back, I remember there being a division. Both black and brown kids knew that I was different, um, but it was just hard for me to make friends when I first moved here. It was almost as if I became an observer, so I kind of faded into the background, um, and I was able to just kind of observe the interactions between kids. And it wasn't until my seventh grade year where I experienced explicit racism and someone had written in my notebook, go back to Mexico, you dirty Mexican. So imagine that you're in the seventh grade, all you want to do is fit in, and that's like a dagger to the heart. I told a teacher, I thought I was doing the right thing, teacher just kind of folded up the note, put it in her pocket, didn't say anything, didn't address it, but I guess she must have told my language arts teacher, who was an African-American lady, and I remember her seeing me in the hallway, and she made eye contact with me, and then she came up to me, and she just gave me a big hug and again no words were exchanged she just held me and I didn't realize how much I needed that hug so I don't know I guess people never know what to make of me because I am a Latina who's always fighting for social justice and especially when it comes to things that relate to you know, Black Lives Matter, I guess I think about it this way, where Black history helps me understand my history and where I stand within the societal structure. So to me, it's always boiled down to just humanity, like treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Ask white people, do they want to be treated as a Black person in the society? Jane Elliott asked it to a crowd of people, And they didn't raise their hand. She asked them, 
raise your hand if you want to be treated like a black person in this society. And they didn't. So they understand something is wrong with this society. So the things that have unraveled recently have been happening for ages. It's just now we have a clear documentation of it because there's footage that isn't lying to us. It's raw. It's uncut. So what's so sad for me to see is just how deeply ingrained this is and how even being a witness to it within the educational structure and just seeing how that impacted students of color. And I reflect on it at a much deeper level where I think about our ancestors who value the collective and the concept of community. Europeans came in with their individualistic mindset. They destroyed our communities. They took from our culture for their benefit and gain. And I just think about how at the simplistic level, our ancestors honored Mother Nature and the Earth. And European greed just saw value in things that we just saw as objects. So the example I use is gold. White America found a way for us to turn on each other. And I just keep wondering, what if we all banded together to dismantle this system that was set up for white people? But how can we get white people on board because they truly are the ones that have the power to change this system that was made for them in the first place. Because my father was in the military, I didn't really experience racism during my early childhood. We were living on bases with families of all different backgrounds, which actually kind of forced us to become a melting pot and rely on one another. It wasn't until I moved until to North Carolina when I was 12 is when I began to actually see racism. Uh, began, I remember being in a department store, walking through uh, the store and saw two white women clutch their purses as I walked by. I'm a kid, I don't want your stuff, you know? Um, and then I remember in high school, there was a particular teacher a white coach and he used to call a lot of the black kids or at least the males boy and at first you thought he was just doing that because you figured a coach figure but uh, you begin to see who all he was saying it to I remember in college being on a campus that was obviously mixed um, but I remember walking down the sidewalk many times and people moving across the sidewalk, walking to the other side, um, working in college while I was working. You know, um, there was a manager at a particular retail store I was working for, and he had an issue with drugs. <laughs> it was pretty clear. And he would steal things. And when he was caught, he tried to blame it on me. Obviously, the only black male working in the store with him. As I moved on into career work, I began to notice again the subtle racism that took place, yet it was super impactful. Positions in which I was well qualified for, I would be passed over by someone which, who was much more inexperienced, but they were white. My experiences with racism in America, wow. Um, <laughs> I have lots, <laughs> unfortunately. But first off, I will start off by saying that my name is Chastity Costin. 
and I am a proud native of North Carolina, Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, And then I went to, I would say, a predominantly white uh, middle and high school. And then I went on to become a proud alumna of North Carolina Central University, which is an HBCU. So transitioning from predominantly white K through 12 schooling to an HBCU definitely had its experiences with racism and stereotypes and everything in between. Then going on to get my master's from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which going from an HBCU for undergrad to a PWI for grad school also had its share of challenges. Um, And then I went on to work at a predominantly white school. Um, I, I had my share of, you know, working in some predominantly black schools and teaching and then being an administrator in predominantly white schools. But I think, and I wanted to share my educational experiences because I am a teacher. Um, I am an educator. I am a lifelong learner. And I think when I went from being a teacher to uh, an educational leader, I experienced, that's where I experienced a lot of racism. Um, Not even necessarily racism, but like I said, that's where the stereotypes came from. Um, Parents wanting to switch their children out of my class because they wanted the white teacher. Um, And this was stated in so many words. Um, Then when I went on to become a principal in Chapel Hill, which is a predominantly white district, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Um, there were some conversations that were had with my principal, who happened to be a white male, and parents preferred to work with him or go to him about certain concerns because they did not want to come to the black woman. So, and like I said, these things were explicitly or indirectly stated. Um, So I just think overall, you know, through my schooling, like I said, I wanted to make this comparison because I am an educator. Um, you think about how students are formed and framed at the elementary level to middle school to high school, going through their college careers. And then if you are an educator into your careers as well, and when you're teaching and then like myself as a principal, you just experience so many biases from people, parents who would prefer you know, another teacher over you because of the color of your skin. Um, I feel it's very unfortunate because I do not feel that the color of anyone's skin makes them a better or lesser educator. It's simply training, um, professional development, and I feel that to categorize an educator by the color of their skin is completely absurd and definitely racist. I really don't think that I will ever forget my first experience as a young adult with racism towards me I was um, probably 21 20 or 21 years old I was working at Waffle House Waffle House the fast food chain um, throughout the south of course and Waffle House is known for sending the managers to different stores so we received a new manager and I noticed that the guy he was looking around and he 
didn't have a pleasant demeanor. But I remember the regional manager saying that, hey, if you ever needed anything or want to get to know the store, this young man has been here for the past six years. You know, you can always ask him anything. So I remember going back to the office and he was um, asking all his questions. He was asking about, you know, meat supply and all this other stuff. And then he started asking about the other employees. And he said, well, is um, everyone here, you know, black? And so I said, oh, no. You know, I said, we have um, some people or uh, whatever. And so some white people, excuse me. And so um, he said, well, do you know their names? And so I began to list their names. And he said, so you mean to tell me out of 20 employees, only four people are white? And so I said, yeah, I said, that's the way it is. And so he says, oh, wow, I don't think that I can work here under these conditions. And so it took me a minute. And then I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, I just don't feel comfortable being around uh, where a majority of my staff is African-American. And so I immediately felt a certain type of way. And myself being young and immature at the time, I went and um, rallied up my other co-workers. And I was like, well, he said this and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it wasn't the appropriate way to handle it at that time. But I was just, you know, taken aback by his response. So, um, we finally called the regional manager and the manager came in and escorted him out. And he said that, well, you have no place in this organization because if this is how you're treating you know, your people or these are your views, there's no telling how, you know, you're going to treat a customer and they're always first, of course. But that was my first experience as a young adult when I remembered racism. Probably not the most prominent displays of racism I've experienced, but the most heartbreaking was my first year teaching. Um, I taught at a middle school for special needs students, um, and I was in a classroom of students that all had Down syndrome. And I had one student who was my absolute favorite. He was white, and he was about three feet tall. And he would plop down on the floor on everybody except for me. Um, he was my absolute favorite student. And I loved him. I loved him with all of my heart. We always had a great relationship. He was always well behaved. But one day he wasn't on uh, one of his medications. Or it was about a week he went without medication. And he was you know, displaying some behaviors that he did not normally display. Um, he was very loud and he was very boisterous and aggressive. It just wasn't the normal student that I was used to. So um, I had to do something unusual, which was discipline him. Um, once I explained his discipline to him, as I'm walking away from across the room, I go to assist another student. And um, as I'm going across the room, he yells to the top of his lungs, you MFN inner. He calls me the N-word. And... I stopped dead in my tracks. It was literally like someone just shot me in the back of the head. Like I just couldn't move. I couldn't function. I couldn't think. And I'm in the classroom with two other adults, one black and one white. The white lady had her mouth wide open like she had just seen a ghost. Um, and the black lady just kind of looked at me and tears started welling up in her eyes. And so I turned around 
and I said something to him. Um, I went over to him and spoke to him and I basically was just like, we don't use that type of language. You will not refer to me as that. And you still have to sit in the cool down corner. Well, the more I started processing it, I was thinking this student with Down syndrome who is very intelligent, who doesn't really any understand much about social constructs and ideological paradigms. Not only did he have the proper context for using the word, he had the right emotion behind it. He had the right inflection out of anger. When he said it, he knew that it was going to evoke a certain reaction because when I turned around and looked at him, he started laughing. Absolutely understands what he is saying. And it really bothered me. So I went and told the principal about it. But she felt that it was very important that she had a conversation with his parents about it. His dad comes up to the school the next day and apologizes to me. But his apology was, I'm sorry, we don't use language like that in our house. And we, we would never refer to someone in that language. But he always hangs around with his older brother who likes to listen to all that rap music. And heaven knows what type of stuff they're saying in that type of music. I had to look at that child and his parents for the rest of the year. And I had to think, what made him think it was appropriate to call me that? Had he heard somebody call me that in his home before? Had there been conversation where I was a, a MFing, you know, nigger in their house? That is when I really realized that racism is not only taught, but it is easily absorbed and it's easily learned. I remember the first time that I had my first wow, I'm black in America experience. I was 16 years old. I had just landed my first part-time job and I was excited. I was excited to make my own money. I was excited to make new friends. And I, you couldn't have given me enough hours back then. I worked inside of a McDonald's that was inside of a Walmart. So the majority of our customers were Walmart employees and, of course, Walmart shoppers. Now, I had noticed some things here and there, but I just chalked it up to people trying to be rude to me. But there was one specific lady who used to come into our store every day for an ice cream cone during her lunch break. She never really spoke anytime I said hello. She never really made a lot of eye contact with me. She'd order her cone, throw her money on the counter, and then go and hand me a napkin to make her ice cream cone. Now granted, after touching money, it does make sense for your hands to be clean, which of course, I wash my hands. And if for anybody who works at McDonald's, you know that the cones already have perforated sanitary papers wrapped around each and every cone. So there was absolutely no reason for me to have a napkin to make her ice cream cone. At that moment, I realized this lady does not want to touch my hands. She does not want to touch my black hands. But what could I do? The customer's always right, right? I remember another time when my god sister and I were inside of a beauty supply store. Right down the street from my neighborhood a store that we often frequented with our parents. Well, this one day, I think I had probably just gotten my driver's license, we decided to go for a drive because what 16-year-old doesn't like driving around. We went into the store and began to look around. And from the very moment that we entered the store, the store clerk watched us very closely. 
After about three or four minutes or so, she came down from behind the counter and began to pace behind us, much like teachers do around their classrooms. She did this for several minutes. My god sister and I noticed and decided to devise a plan to play a little trick on her. So on a count of three, we split off really quickly and watched our head spin. <laughs> that was such an enjoyable moment. But getting back into the car, once again, realizing, did she really think we were going to steal something? She's seen our faces since we were children. Why would she think we'd steal anything? So you want to have a store that is geared towards black consumers but then be very mistrusting of your black consumers. That's an issue. But my most recent experience of racism has really been one of the most detrimental to date. Every time I think about this story, I'm thankful for the fact that it didn't go a way that it could have gone in that moment. I stopped for breakfast one morning, ironically, at a McDonald's. <laughs> we were at the end of um, Black History Month, and I was really excited to wear my new African hair wraps because, you know, got to do it for the culture. <laughs> so I pulled into line, I ordered my breakfast, and um, you know how the McDonald's lines have like the double lines and they merge into one line to pay. Well, I have a very small car and I just happened to pull out before the man on the other side. He actually tried to ram his truck into my car a little bit. And I'm just kind of like, dude, your truck's not going to fit. I got here first. So I got into the line, began to drive up. I rolled my window down in anticipation of paying the cashier and I could hear him mumbling behind me but I couldn't really make out what he was saying altogether. that is until I rolled my window all the way down and I began to hear him shout you're a nigger you're an MF and nigger and I mean he went off over and over and over again that man cursed me to the high heavens and in that moment I'm like wow I can't even really recall um, being in a situation like that before I'm more than sure somebody's called me the n-word behind my back or like made little rumblings throughout a lot of my experiences of racism have been laced and nuanced um in very sneaky ways um especially you know working um in predominantly white school systems however i've never had anybody outright call me the n-word to my back or to my face loud enough for me to hear it if I felt like all of the blood rushed from my head, like I couldn't believe that was happening to me. And the cashier looked at me and she's like, well, what's going on? Like, why is he yelling? And I looked at her and I said, oh, he's just calling me a nigger. It's okay. And I kind of laughed it off, but it was like nervous energy. Like I didn't really know how to process in that moment. 
and he continued to shout obscenities at me the entire time I was in the line and the line just would not move fast enough. And when I finally got my breakfast and was about to pull off, the last thing I heard him say was, enjoy your breakfast, nigger. I work in the eastern part of Guilford County. And for anybody who knows anything about the eastern part of Guilford County, out there, everybody, black, white, orange, green, oh, they carry guns. The first thought that came to my head was that I wanted to retaliate, that I wanted to drive around at ignorant and fuss and cuss right back at him. However, was I willing to lose my life over a $3 biscuit that day? Absolutely not. So I drove on down the road and I experienced a series and a flood of emotions driving to work that morning. I'm never and I have never and will never be ashamed to be black. I'm honored that God created me to be black. But in that moment, all I could think about was the fact that I could have been another hashtag over a biscuit and I didn't do anything wrong. A lot of people, when I told this story, said you should have drove around and got his license tag number. But who's to say I would have made it back out of that parking lot that day? I really don't know. So for our therapy session today, I would like to have a conversation with my white friends. I think that it is very imperative that conversations about how to be an ally to black and brown people are guided by the very black and brown people with which you hope to be an ally. So I'm calling this segment of our therapy session an open letter to my white friends, ways that you can be an ally. So the first thing that you can do um, to demonstrate that you want to be an ally is to have difficult conversations with black and brown people. I know that is a very uncomfortable space to navigate. However, you have to do it. 
As we all know, growth and change comes at a very uncomfortable expense. There is no way for you to stretch and to learn and to develop into who you want to be except that you force yourself into uncomfortable spaces. And in this case, that includes having difficult conversations that are awkward and uncomfortable with black and brown people that you know about racial injustice, about their experiences, about things that they've dealt with and about their day-to-day interactions with the general population have the conversation and ask us how we're doing genuinely how we're doing as a human being I don't think that you can watch another human being basically get murdered in the streets and not have some sort of tenderness in your heart for that person However, it is a totally different experience when that person who's being murdered is somebody who looks like you. Anytime another black person is killed, I'm here to tell you it is a traumatic experience for me and for anybody else who's black. It triggers us every single time. Ask your black friends how they're doing and don't be afraid to talk about it. Name it. Specify it. Say the names of these people who have been killed. The people who are being killed, even as we speak, don't shy away. Don't try to beat around the bush. Get to the meat of it. And don't just have conversations with random black people. Have conversations with black people that you know and trust who can listen to you with a non-judgmental ear um, and will extend grace to you as you learn how to navigate really a new lane and a new experience that you've never had before i know for some of you you've never been oblivious to the fact that racism is alive and well but for some of you you're just waking up to the racial injustice that is going on in america no matter where you are on that spectrum you still want to make sure that you're in spaces with people who can extend grace to you as you're learning the new language of how to be an ally to people who don't look like you you're gonna say the wrong thing sometimes you're gonna make a mistake but it's easier to do that within the confines of a safe space than it is to do it on a social platform so for those of you who may want to say something may want to post um may want to show outwardly that you were in support of black people brown people of the black lives matter movement um all together If you feel like you're going to say something and you don't know how well it's going to be received, don't think you have to do it on your own. Send that message over or that voice note over to a black or brown person that you trust and get them to proof it for you. They will absolutely tell you if they think that it is offensive. There's nothing wrong with that. This is a learning curve for all of us. Honestly, for black people, a lot of us are in shock that there are so many white people who are now open to understanding our experiences this is new for us too we're all learning and growing together it's a process it does not happen overnight just know that the way to start is to begin having those difficult conversations and over time it becomes easier to have until eventually it becomes a way of life for you anyway as an effort to continue talking to people. Also, have difficult conversations with other white people. Who better to call other white people to the carpet than other white people? 
we all know you have cousins you have friends co-workers who don't like black people or who just will not and refuse to believe that the things that we're saying are true who refuse to look at the injustice that's going on in our nation right now and for some reason think that it's justified and why it's happening or they're so uncomfortable with it that they want to turn a blind eye to it call them out not necessarily in a way that's not loving but educate them that requires you to educate yourself first but educate them let them know that this is wrong when your cousin makes a black joke at the family barbecue correct them don't let that be something that continues to fly um, if your co-workers have something negative to say about one of your black co-workers or brown co-workers who works in the cubicle next to you, don't allow that moment to pass for you to educate them and to let them know that what they're saying or doing is ignorant and try to assist them along the way. It is so much easier to have conversations with people who you know and trust versus people who you don't know at all. Have difficult conversations with other white people, especially within your own family units. If you have kids, you have to talk about these things. I know a lot of um, my white friends have told their children their whole entire lives that racism is wrong and that you should love people no matter who they are or what they look like. And that's great. But don't miss out on the opportunity to have a little bit of a history lesson with them, too. Show them films and documentaries and things that give a visual um, explanation or a visual picture of what all has gone on and is going on. I thought it was very ironic that um, the situation that happened in Central Park just a few weeks ago where a black man was bird watching and caught a white lady on camera basically trying to racially profile him and get the police to come um, to where they were because she was upset about not wanting to put her dog on the leash. I thought it was very ironic that um, five young boys were wrongfully convicted of killing a white woman also in Central Park just a few decades ago. They've just recently been exonerated within the last few years or so. These things are happening and recurring every single day. Don't think that because it happened in the past that it's not happening now. If you teach a history lesson, history is sure to repeat itself. So use historical references, but also utilize what we have right now going on in the media. And you can decide best how to educate your kids. I mean, a five-year-old is not ready to receive a full report from CNN. We totally get that. But, you know, just have those conversations. Talk about it in a way that they can understand, but also in a way that is raw and real. Another way to be an ally is to fight against racial injustice in your fields and in your church, in your social clubs and societies and sports teams and things that you're a part of. Do not turn a blind eye when you see wrong things happening to people who are of color. Some of you are in positions where you are a supervisor or you're a lead on something or you're a pastor or minister or whatever. Utilize your platform, utilize your voice to fight against racial injustice. Show us that you are an ally by not allowing these things to continue. If you see something that's wrong, say something. File the report, pull people to the side and have those difficult conversations to let them know that what they might have said or done is wrong. 
if you see somebody um, on your job who is being treated unfairly because of the color of their skin by one of your superiors, don't be afraid to make a complaint. It is perfectly okay. Utilize whatever voice you have to be able to fight against racial injustice. Your voice could very well be the reason why somebody of color no longer has to deal with racial discrimination at your job. Go figure. Fight against racial injustice in any way you possibly can. Another way, which is one of the more obvious ways, if you feel so led to do, join the protest, join the movement, boycott, support black businesses and black brands um, instead of supporting things that may be more mainstream or corporate level. There is a way to exercise a form of protest in a way that is comfortable for you. And in no way am I telling anybody that the best way to be an ally is to protest. The thing is, you may not be ready to exercise your voice in that particular way just yet. And if that's you, that's okay. Like even for me, I would have absolutely loved to have participated in some of the protests that have gone on within the last few weeks. But I have a compromised immune system. I can't be around that many people right now with everything going on with COVID-19. So I've had to figure out other ways to protest and other ways to utilize my voice and to utilize my platform to speak out about things that are going on in this world that are wrong. You have a platform, whatever it is. Utilize that and if you feel so led to do so, join a protest or figure out other forms of protest that allow for you to be able to get your point across. Another thing that you can do is to call your local and state governments and call your leaders to the carpet. So that will also require you to do a little bit of reading to educate yourself about things that are going on and while yes the constitution has its laws in place to protect understand that for a lot of black people we do not feel that the constitution necessarily protects and covers our rights as american citizens in most cases especially when you hear about um senseless murders of black and brown people the state and local level government handles those situations well before it becomes front page CNN news. Usually there is some law or some bill or something that's been swept under the rug that justifies why um, certain police officers or why certain white people have not been convicted of the crimes that they've committed in years previous and even still now because there are certain laws and things that are in place at the local and state levels that protects them. These things are wrong. Call your local and state level governments, write letters, send emails. This is another way for you to continue to fight against racial injustice and things that are going on um, with black and brown people in America. Another thing that you can do is to learn the language of the movement. So a lot of people have issues with the Black Lives Matter movement. Understand that there is a difference between the Black Lives Matter organization and the Black Lives Matter movement. There are several black people who don't agree with all of the things that are a part of the agenda of the Black Lives Matter organization. And that is perfectly fine. But regardless, I'm going to scream Black Lives Matter until this world begins to see that our Black Lives Matter. Understand that this is not a political move for any of us. 
None of us are concerned with the politics that are behind the scenes. All we are simply crying out is that our lives matter too. Don't say things that could potentially be offensive. And if you think it might be offensive, have a conversation with a black or brown person to clarify or to let you know if what you're saying is wrong or not. Which leads me to my next point is to learn the language that is necessary to avoid so that you don't do more harm when you're in the right mindset of wanting to do good in the world. Learn that there are certain words and phrases that are offensive or that trigger us. It's not that we don't know that you're coming from a good place. It's just offensive. I think that when the whole Black Lives Matter phrase started, you know, a lot of white people didn't take the time to educate themselves on what exactly we were trying to say. And so in turn, they got offended and started with the whole all lives matter or blue lives matter. That's wrong. Wrong is sin because you didn't understand what we were saying. Nobody ever said that blue or all lives didn't matter. We were simply saying that black lives matter too. It is time for us to stop utilizing all lives matter. We know that all lives matter, but all lives are not being killed like animals in the streets. All lives are not being disproportionately killed by police officers. Not all lives are disproportionately experiencing police brutality and racism and other issues in every vein of their lives. Until these black and brown lives matter, all lives can't matter. Period. Stop saying it. It is offensive. It is a slap in our faces. We cannot kumbaya this thing. Unfortunately, racism is a sore spot in the fabric of our American culture. We don't like to talk about it. America loves to remember the Holocaust, but doesn't want to remember the Holocaust that was enacted upon black people, you know, since we came to this country against our will. We have to understand that it is okay to recognize the sins of America. You don't have to cover them up and sweep them under a rug and, you know, try to hold hands and sing a song and move on with life. That is not reality. That is not what is going to fix the issue or fix the problem. All Lives Matter is basically a kumbaya moment to say, let's not focus on this right now because we're all important. That's offensive to us. Please stop saying that. Um, another phrase, and I can only speak for me, but I've always been bothered by, particularly in the church, when people say things like there's only one race and that's the human race. Well, in actuality, that's very true. We are all human people. And in the grand scheme of life in the kingdom, yes, there is but one race. But understand that your black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ walk outside of the four walls of that church building and have a totally different experience than you. Do not turn a blind eye to the fact that our life fight is a lot different than yours. So while yes, you know, you may treat me with respect and dignity when I'm at church, understand that other people outside of those doors don't care about my black life. The only way to support me is for you to care about my black life in more ways than just when we're in church. What you do outside of church matters. I know a lot of uh, my white friends have 
been reluctant to make public statements on social media for fear of them saying the wrong thing. Understand that you're not going to say the wrong thing, especially if you're a Christian. Be spirit led with what you say. And if by chance you're unsure as to what you're going to say is offensive or not, ask a black person or a brown person to proofread what you're about to post before you post it. And we can tell you if it's going to be wrong or if it's going to be offensive to others. That way, you're at least getting correction in a private um, and safe space versus out there on the Internet where we already know the Internet is not forgiving. So I totally get it. But that doesn't mean be silent. That doesn't mean don't say anything. That doesn't mean get on Instagram and post about taking your dog for a walk when some black man just got killed in the streets like a dog. Your silence is loud. Utilize your platform, utilize your voice, but learn the language of the movement. Learn the language that is offensive to us. Figure out what things trigger us and then move forward. Yes, it requires work. Yes, it requires effort. Yes, it is uncomfortable. But how else can you fight a war except that you join in the ranks of uncomfortability? And then the last thing is just to simply educate yourself. Now, it's amazing to read history books and to read up on things and articles that have happened in the past, but understand that history repeats itself and is repeating itself every single day. While acts of racism are not always, you know, out loud and done in a way um, that is publicly seen for everybody to see, there are far less crosses being burned in people's um, yards as there were, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. However, racism shows its ugly head in a way that is very underhanded and behind the scenes and not seen you know outright unless you know what you're looking for that doesn't mean that it is not just as harmful and honestly I'm more afraid of closeted racists than I am of people who just straight up don't like me at least I know what I'm getting from you educate yourself ask questions watch movies right now Netflix has a special collection of movies and documentaries that you can watch that bring light to the things that are going on in our world. Watch them. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it can be overwhelming. But it's important for you to know what's going on. It's very difficult to speak up for somebody when you don't know much about what's going on. Educate yourself. Don't shy away from it. And my ultimate hope and prayer is that you take everything that I've said in love. I want to support you as you want to support us. This is my form of speaking out. This is my form of supporting the movement. I feel that I am a good person to have difficult conversations with white people. And of course, I didn't go super in depth the way that I could have. But please know that I'm ready and available to do so at any given moment. Use your voice, use your platform, and understand that we appreciate you for wanting to be an ally.
want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Millennial Things Podcast with Lynn D. Y'all, it has, and I know in my intro, I said that it had been a week um, since Blackout Tuesday, but as I sit here and wrap up the last edits of this podcast, it's been more like three <laughs> um, since um, Blackout Tuesday. I initially started working on this episode on Blackout Tuesday as a means to support the movement that was going on at that particular time through social media and for me to utilize my voice and my platform um, in a way that educated people and that spoke to what was going on in the world. And then the next thing you know, my world kind of got swept um, out of my own control by the tornado that we all know as graduation <laughs> um, by trade you guys know that I'm a school counselor I thought school was over but it was not <laughs> um, and so the demands of my job have really and truly taken a toll on me in the last few weeks and I just did not have the time or the capacity um, to put this episode out and for it to be half-baked um, it's important I think that everything from what i've said to what um, my friends have contributed to the podcast episode to everything that i discussed in helping our white brothers and sisters to become better allies for us are all important points and i just did not feel that it was you know right to just put an episode out there for the sake of putting one out so better late than never it's still necessary it's still relevant We are still in a time where we are growing and stretching and reaching for change at a rapid pace that I don't think we've really been reaching for collectively in a long time. Um, I don't really know why things are so different this time, but they are. I think that people's eyes and ears are open in a way that they've never been open before. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, I hate that it came at the expense of a man losing his life. Um, And I definitely dedicate this episode of the Millennial Things Podcast to George Floyd, to his little girl. Um, mm, That hit. (laughs) To his little girl, uh, to his family and friends, and to know that George had roots in North Carolina um, really hits home. So I just, I hope that this episode did him and did us justice once again if you don't already follow me please follow me on instagram at the millennial things podcast that's m-i-l-l-y-n-n-i-a-l things podcast you can also follow my personal page at becoming 31 status on facebook once again thank you for tuning in And please remember that every single one of us, black, white, brown, green, purple, has a responsibility and a duty to speak out and to use our voices to fight racial injustice in America. So I end this episode by saying black lives matter. They always have mattered. They always will matter. Get busy, warriors. Let's fight.